And so, Father, as you gave your life so that we could have life, we thank you. We do not understand that type of love. There you were seated at the right hand of God. You were with him. You were in eternity. You are God. But yet you came down from that place to be with us here. I will never understand that, God, but I thank you for it. And so, Lord, as we talk today about what it looks like for us to love, what what it looks like for us to be parents, God, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and allow each one of us to hear exactly what it is that you are trying to say to us this morning, God. And so we pray, God, that, again, you would speak, that you would give us ears to hear a message that can really kind of be a slap to some of us. So God, we love you and we thank you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I just want to say, hey, uh, it's good to be back with you here at Christ Church. We spent the last couple of weeks over uh, in the Middle East in Israel and then traveled to Rome. And we had a great trip. I told my children it was like walking through a pop-up book of the Bible. It was, it was pretty neat. And so we were very blessed by the trip. But one of the things I was really amazed uh, by over there was the way that the, the people, uh, and particularly the children, were behaved. And it, uh, it just struck me because I think of a lot of times when, I, when I'm here and I'm, say, in like a Walmart or something like that, I look at the way uh, a lot of parents will speak to their kids in public, and then I look at the way that kids will speak to their parents in public, and, and it's sometimes horrifying, right? <laughs> We've all seen it. It's never happened to us, of course, but we've all seen it. And, and I was really struck by the fact that uh, halfway through the trip, I actually started to purposely look for it. I was purposely looking for that one bad, bad Israeli kid who was climbing the walls and, and, and grabbing Torah and tearing it up, and I, it just wasn't there. And so I started to think to myself, well, what is that? Because I tell you, these... These children were very well behaved, they were running and playing, they were being kids, but there was really something beautiful about the community that we were in, and I came to the realization is that the community helped raise the kids. They really did. And so today we're going to talk about what it looks like for us to be mothers. Because there's a lot of you sitting out there going today, I'm not a mother, I don't have to tune in, I can check out of the service, wake me up in about a half hour. No! Because we're all mothers in a way, right? We all have a responsibility from God to be parents, to be members of a community that helps raise the children of God. Now, we can look at our passage of Scripture today in Matthew 19 and take it to a very theological level and say that, you know, Jesus was talking about the importance of taking care of those who are spiritually young in their faith, but I don't want to do that. Because I'm going to take it at its face value for what Jesus says. Jesus makes the claim as simply as you can put it. Children are important. I'm going to say it again and everybody should amen. Okay, this is just a tip. Children are important. Thank you. Children are important. And every single one of us has a role in the life of the children of our church. Do you know that when we baptize and dedicate and we say, okay, church, we want you to respond, that you agree to participate in the raising of the children that come to this church? I'm sorry if you didn't catch that when we were doing it, but you're already on the hook. We have a responsibility to come alongside of our parents, of the moms, of the dads, 
and to help in the raising of our children because Jesus says children are significant. Now, I love Mother's Day. I love my mom. I love my wife who's walking down the aisle right now. Thanks for that moment. That was good. And, and, and I love the way moms, they just love us unconditionally, don't they? I mean, when you think about all those little knickknacks and crafts that, that our children will make for mom, and I mean, mom's the only one that can really love that stuff, right? It's beautiful. We love it. In fact, I, Pastor Jared and I, when talking about this sermon this week, we were thinking about the way mom unconditionally loves us, and we looked up maybe some funny letters that moms have gotten from their kids over the years. And so we narrowed it down to six-year-olds. I have a six-year-old, and so figured this could be pretty fun. And so the following are some letters that moms have gotten from their six-year-old, okay? The first one comes from Brooke. She says, Dear Mom, thank you so much for being my mom. And if I had another mom, I would punch her right in the face, and I would find you. <laughs> Love, Brooke. Jenny writes, Dear Mom, six years old, Thank you so much for making food so I don't die. It's good, Jenny. It's good. This is from Johnny. <laughs> Dear Mom, you don't do a lot right. But thanks for trying. Happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> Dear Mom, I love you and happy Mother's Day even if you are an alien. But trust me when I say this, I really do need a laptop. Thank you, Trevor. That was Trevor. And so finally, we have this last one. It says, Dear Mom, we really wanted to make you breakfast in bed, but we can't reach the pancakes. We tried to break a bunch of eggs, but then we couldn't reach the bacon. Sorry. Happy Mother's Day. P.S. Can you make us breakfast? <laughs> Isn't that the truth? I mean, moms, moms do a lot. We love moms. We love the way they take care of us. When we, when we get a boo-boo, we go to our mom. You know, there's, there's, there's one of two people that the soldier cries for on the last moments at a battlefield. It's their mom and God. You know? It's the truth. Moms are important. But I really want to challenge our thinking on what just a mom is. Because you see, biblically speaking, a mother is a very important role, and it's having a child, and some of you are entering into that, some of you are yet to enter into that, some of you can't enter into that, and you know what? You're still a mother. Because I want you to think about this. I want you to think about your life, okay? Let's say you're a believer out there. I want you to think about all the people in your life who helped pour into you so that, so that you would know Jesus. Take a moment and do that. Were they all just your mom? Were they all just your dad? Chances are there was probably a coach who loved you. Chances are there was probably a teacher who inspired you. Chances are there was probably a family friend or an uncle or a camp counselor or somebody in your life that poured into your life. And if the truth is told, you know, there's a group called the Orange Group. They are a think tank that does all these studying on family dynamics. They say in the life of a healthy Christian child, you need five influencers outside of mom and dad. That, and again, it could be a coach, it could be this, it could be that. So the question is, who are those people going to be? I made the comparison earlier to a show called Boy Meets World. Some of you, that's your, you know that show. There's a character on that show called Mr. Feeney. He's the annoying principal that's a stickler for the rules and always brought that life lesson into the show. You know why he's a loved character? Because our young people are looking for people to love on them. 
For some of you, it's Mr. Wilson and Dennis the Menace. Mr. Wilson didn't have to love Dennis, but, and he didn't really act like a whole lot that he loved Dennis, but he always spoke truth into Dennis's life. We need these people in the lives of our kids. We need people who are willing to love the children of God and to speak up to them and to teach them. And so the question I ask, is it just the mother's job to raise the child? Some of us have abandoned our mothers to do all the work. And I'm going to call out the dads. The, the way that dads abandon their families in our country is heart-wrenching. So who's going to step in for the role of a father when he's not there? It needs to be the men and the women of God. You all have a responsibility to parent. You all have a responsibility as a church to help in the raising of these kids. What I was so blown away with in Israel is when we got there is that there was communities of people loving on these children. And I thought, that's got to be what the difference is, is. From the time that these kids are young, they're learning what they believe, why they believe it, and they're not just hearing it, they're seeing it in the people around them. Jesus says that children are significant. We've been given two commissions in this life, to love God and to love Him. And we're to love, or excuse me, love God and love others, and we're to love others by loving children. And in our passage today, Jesus makes these words, says these words. He says that the, the little children were brought to him, and when he went to place his hands on them, in case you don't know, that's how a rabbi blesses a child. If you ever see a pastor walk up and touch a child on the forehead, it's a form of blessing, especially when you go into different countries. Jesus said, let the little children come, because the disciples were rebuking the person who brought the children. He re- they rebuked. Let me ask you this. Are we better than our kids? Are we superior to our little ones? Because in this moment, the disciples are treating the children as if they're less, as if they're not equivalent in the eyes of God. And I'm going to tell you right now, Jesus tells us a very different story than the story that the disciples are painting. To the disciples, they're insignificant. They're meaningless. Ah, throw some dirt on it, kids. You'll be fine. Jesus doesn't say that. In fact, earlier in the scripture, he rebuked them for it again. But Jesus says, let the little children come and do not hinder them. Don't get in the way of the kids coming to know me. For the kingdom of heaven belongs to such as these. When he had placed his hands on them, he went on from there. Jesus Christ is telling us in this moment that children are significant. And church, let me ask you this question. In your life, are children significant? Or are they the annoying things that ride their bike through your yard? Do you realize that we have communities of people starving for mentors? That we have communities of children growing up without fathers or without mothers? And the men and women of God idly will sit by, but God has commanded us that we are to love the children. Our children's ministry, our student ministry, should not have to ask for volunteers. Because we are called by God to love our children. And I'm going to tell you right now, I've got two little children. And I need people to come around my children and help me because they're winning. 
I love my children. But I need those five people in the lives of my kids because I know how youth ministry works. I did it for a long time. Parents, I'm going to let you on to a secret. You know what we as youth pastors do? We tell your kids the same thing that you tell them. They just listen to us for some reason. Right? You need those people in the lives of your kids to reinforce what's being taught. And it's a good thing. And there's a lot of you sitting out there right now, I don't have kids, or I'm old, or my kids are empty nesters. You should never be an empty nester. Once that nest gets empty, fill it back up with someone else's kids. Because they need to hear the words of God. When we look at this encounter that Jesus has with these children, we see four very key areas that I want to point out. And I want to challenge you, take notes this morning. Write this down, because every one of you is responsible for the children that come to this church. You are responsible for the kids in your neighborhood, and you are responsible for the kids in your family. God does not mess around when it comes to kids, and I'm going to stress that later with Jesus' own words. But the first thing we've got to remember when it comes to these kids is that each one of us plays a part in their life. Each one of us, every one of us. And that each child belongs to God. Psalm 139 says that you were knit together in your mother's womb, that he knew you. Children are precious from the moment that they are conceived. Abortion is never right. The men and women of God need to step up and come around people when they're in those desperate moments of their life and they feel like that's the only option they have. Where are the people of God? We shouldn't be protesting. We should be standing with people. These children belong to God. And listen to these statistics. There's a group called the Barna Group that talks about this very thing. Did you know that 43% of Americans who claim to have accepted Jesus do so before the age of 13? Isn't that staggering? 43% of Christians accept Jesus before the age of 13. Now, I'm not a brilliant businessman, but I'm going to want to invest in that big 43%, right? And as men and women of God, we should also want to invest in that. 64% of Christians made their commitment to Christ before the age of 18. Again, tell me why our student and youth ministry have to uh, ask for volunteers. We should want to invest in that number. More than half of the people out there come to Christ before the age of 18. And 13% made the profession of Christ between the ages of 18 and 21. Are you starting to see the significance of this age group? From birth to 21 is an important age, and we need a community of people to come around parents, to come around these young people, and to help raise them, to teach them the words of God. So the first thing, if you're taking notes, is we've got to remember each of us plays a part, and each child belongs to God. The second thing is we need to teach them about God. Teach them to return to God. You guys know the Proverb 22, 6 says, train a child up in the way he ought to go, and one day he will return to it. There's a couple of things there. When you read that and it says, train a child up in the way he ought to go, that tells us that there's a way that the child is going to go. And for those of us that have kids, we know that that's sin. It's our natural bent. You've all been people in your life, right? 
You've been a person. It's easier for us to follow the path of sin. But the Word of God tells us that we're to train children up in the way they should go. So what way is that? It's the way of being an imitator of Christ. We're to teach our children. What I loved in Israel is when we walked around, even in our hotel, there was these like, I don't know, they looked like little sword sheaths across the sides of the doors. Little boxes. And when I first got there, Pastor Jared and I kept making jokes, well maybe that means the room's kosher. We, we couldn't remember what that meant. And then something struck me from, my, from reading the scripture. That on the doorposts of every door in Israel, I'm not kidding, every door that we saw, even in our hotel rooms, there was this little box, and inside was a rolled up piece of scripture. And I'll tell you where that comes from. It comes from the book of Deuteronomy. It's, it's a prayer known to the Jewish people as the Shema. It's part of their daily prayers. But what the Shema is, is a reminder to their children that they belong to God. And in the book of Deuteronomy, it says this. If you're writing down notes, it's Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your might. This is what they're teaching their children. And these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house. And when you walk by the way, when you lie down, when you rise, you shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. Write that stuff on your forehead so that when your kids are looking at you, they're seeing scripture, is what that's saying. And then it says this You shall write them on the doorposts of all of your houses and on all of your gates. And what amazed me about that Israeli culture is they literally did that. They took the raising of their children so seriously that you couldn't look at a door in the entire country without seeing the Shema put right there, scrolled up, rolled in a little thing. So every time that little kid walks out his door, he's reminded that God loves him, that he belongs to God, and that he is to love him with his own heart. Let me ask you this question, church. Do we treat the knowledge and understanding of God that serious with our children? Do we teach in such a way that every time we sit down, every time we go to bed, every time we get up, when we're cutting the grass, whatever it is we're doing, that we're putting the words of God on the hearts of our kids? Because we are called to teach our kids to return to God. And when our kids began to wander waywardly, We ask the question of what went wrong. The question I would ask is, are we teaching the kids the way back? Or are we throwing them out into a world and telling them to find their own way back? Because as a community of believers, we need to be teaching our kids the way back. If you're one of those influencers in somebody's life, are you teaching them the way back? But hear me. Those influencers are needed. But there is no substitute for mom and there is no substitute for dad. Those influences are great. But mom and dad, you need to be teaching your children how to, be, how to find their way back to God. 
Get them in the scriptures. Are you studying with them? Are they seeing you do it? You know, my uncles were pretty fantastic at raising me for, to be a man. But they can't substitute for the role that my dad was supposed to play. And I'm going to say this, and I want you to hear it with love because I'm not sorry for saying it. Christian church, stop giving up on one another in marriage. Stop divorcing. Stop it. Because what we're going to talk about next is our kids imitate us. They look at you when you don't think they're looking. And some of you parents know this is true. And so when we look at the divorce rate in our nation, it doesn't surprise me why we have a generation of young people that think marriage is useless. Because it's not the world sending them that message. It's the people of God sending that message. The divorce rate is bigger in the church than it is outside of the church. What the heck? The Word of God tells us we're in a covenant with one another. Listen to me. My wife wasn't here. I'm glad she's not now. There is nobody on this planet that can make me happier in my life faster than my wife. But there is nobody that can make me madder on this planet than my wife faster. Amen? And you know what? We're not going to quit on each other. Because we made a covenant with God. And I want to challenge you, church, if your marriage is on the rocks, you beat the tar out of each other and work it out. Because God will bless you. I talked to a young couple right after the first service and they were on the verge of divorce and they stuck it out. They hated each other for months, but praise God, mm, their marriage is good today. Don't quit. I'm tired of quitters. Stop quitting because our kids are watching. The third thing is, is we're called to be imitators of God, church. We're called to not just preach and teach this message, but we're called to live by example the words of God. So if you're writing note, the third thing is, be imitators. I love this moment. I, maybe I've shared this with you before, but my wife and I were in Walmart parking lot, and as we're driving to find a parking space, the windows are down. It's a beautiful day. This woman's texting on her phone, walking right down the middle of the road. My wife stops the car at a cold stop. The woman continues to text and walks right into my wife's car. She looks up at my wife with this look of, how dare you? And my six-year-old daughter in the back seats utters these words. You got some nerve, lady. <laughs> Remember, the windows are open. The lady cocks her head like this, and my daughter says, you want a piece of this? <laughs> She's six. Where did she get this from? Clearly her mother. But our children are always watching us and they are going to imitate you. You know if you stick a black baby and a white baby in a crib together, they're not going to be racist. They're going to play together. You know why? Because hate is taught. Evil is taught. And so the question I ask you is, how are you living your life? Are you imitating Christ? Or are you imitating things that are not so good? Man, I got some scripture, so get ready. Matthew 18, I'm going to come back to that because that's a real punch in the face. Ephesians 4.1 says, Live a life worthy of the calling that you have received. Now listen to me. God loves you as much now as He's ever going to love you. But you have had the Savior of, of, of everything, the Creator of everything, died for you. Live in such a way that you appreciate it. Are you living in such a way that 
that God would be proud of the way that you're living. Ephesians 5.1 says, Follow God's example. Be imitators as dearly loved children. There is a recognition of children. And Paul says that they're watching. Just as we're to imitate Christ, our kids are going to imitate us. So who are they imitating? Are they imitating the world? Or are they imitating God? Ephesians 4.29 challenges us big time. Because a lot of times as Christians, we feel like maybe we can swear or maybe we can just try to fit into the world. But when we try to fit into the world and when we try to be the hip Christian, there's nothing different about us. As a Christian, you're called to look different. Did you hear me, church? You are called to righteous living. You are called to be holy. Don't get caught up in this trend in the, in the, in the culture today where we're supposed to be with it and we're supposed to be cool and we're supposed to be hip. No, you look ridiculous. Because you don't look like Christ when you do that. What are the words coming out of your mouth? We teach our children all the time. Let's build people up. Let's say nice things. If you can't say something nice, don't say nothing at all. Come on, lady! And then we just scream at the person who drives next to us. How are we speaking? How are we living? How do you speak to your people in your house? How do you speak to your spouse? How do you speak to that crazy waiter that just can't seem to understand? I want a Coke! How do we speak to people? How do we treat people? Are we living a life that is worthy of the calling that we have received? Do we recognize that in 1 Peter 4.11 it tells us this, that as believers in God, when we speak, we speak as if speaking the very words of God. Did you hear that? When things come out of here, there are people watching you, and to them, you're the only God that they'll ever know. You're the only Jesus. You're the only experience they're ever going to have with Christ. Are they hearing Jesus? Are they hearing the world? Paul gives this command to Timothy. He says, set an example. Don't let anyone look down on you because you're young, but set an example for the believers in your speech and in your conduct. How are you living? Listen to me. When you think your kids aren't watching, trust me, they're watching plenty. When you think that, that, that the neighbor's kids aren't watching, trust me, they're watching and they're observing and they're seeing if, who they should be. Should I be like this person? God's put that on all of us. You know, that scripture of train a child up in the way he ought to go and one day he'll return to it, it's scary because we're called to trust God. And I want to say this to you. Raising a kid right sometimes looks like Cain. Adam and Eve, I want to point this out, they raised Cain and they raised Abel. Abel got it right, Cain didn't. Sometimes you're going you're gonna to do your best job parenting. One of the godliest men I know raised this amazing saint of a son. But man, let me tell you about his daughter. Listen to me, parents. Listen to me, community members. You're not responsible for the choices that other people make. You're responsible for doing what God has called you to, and that's to do your part. You can't make someone follow this, but you can live as an example and give them a way back. As a church, we've got to trust God with those lost children of ours. Maybe you're 50 years old right now. Maybe you're 60 years old right now. And you have a, a, a child who's grown up and they are wayward as the day is long. Listen to me. Did you raise them as God told you? And if you did, trust it. You might be dead and gone for 20 years. But like Pastor John Guest's brother who accepted Christ late in his life, 
only had a couple of years living for Jesus, he came back. And I want to encourage you, you may not see it. That's the hardest part about ministry. It's not like we're building buildings where we can walk and say, that's what we did, it's complete, it's done. For some of us, you're never going to see the fruits of the ministry that you do. But we've got to trust God. That's the fourth thing in this, this key to this interaction is trusting God to know that if we do what he asks, he says, trust me, one day they'll return to it. That's really scary, isn't it? You know, I want to read this scripture to you. I know I'm a little bit over, but I don't care. <laughs> Matthew 18 is another depiction of Jesus letting the children come. The disciples are having this squabbling moment where they're arguing over who's going to be the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And again, another moment where they say, we're better than them kids. Jesus says this. They say, who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven, Lord? And he called a little child and he had him stand among them. And he said, I tell you the truth, unless you change and become like this little kid, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Therefore, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And whoever welcomes a child like this in my name welcomes me. Jesus is taking kids serious, isn't he? Now, I want you to listen to this because this is a loaded message that talks about we as imitators. Jesus goes on to say this. These are the words of Jesus Christ, not me. But if any one of you causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for you to have a millstone tied around your neck and thrown into the depths of the sea. Thanks, loving Lord. Did you catch that? Do you think Jesus takes children seriously? If you cause one of my little ones to stumble, it would be a greater mercy to you to have a large millstone tied around your neck and thrown in the depths of the sea. Don't mess with my kids. Jesus takes children very seriously. And my prayer is, is that we as a church and you as a community are doing that. He continues on. And he says, Woe to the world because of the things that cause people sin. Such things must come, but woe to the man who through they come. Do you understand what that's saying? Sin's bad. But if you deliver sin to these little kids, bad news. Woe to you. If your hand or your foot causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life maimed or crippled than to have two hands or feet and to be thrown into the eternal fire. And if your eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. It's better for you to enter life with one eye than to have two eyes and be thrown into the fires of hell. Jesus takes two things seriously in this moment, sin and kids. Because when we live a life of sin, our kids are catching it. They're learning it. And as history goes on, we've seen this. It becomes more acceptable, more acceptable, more acceptable. Church, that's not good enough. We as a church have got to love our kids enough to be who we say we are. We've got to teach them the word of God. Listen to me. We're not looking for professionals, people who've gone through seminary. We're just looking for people who love Jesus, who are willing to be obedient, and to pour into the life of a kid. I got a, I got a six-year-old and a nine-year-old. Help me, please. Parenting's hard. I, I studied youth ministry for a, for a living. I, I've done it successfully for a long time. I thought I had it figured out. No. 
help me. And I want to help you. We should want to help one another. When we see that mother sitting in service with her 47 children, one's got a nosebleed, the other one's sniffling, this one's screaming, help her out. Don't feel like you're getting in her business. Love on each other. When's the last time you poured into the life of a child? That's a question I have for you. Because children are important to God. And you're speaking and you're preaching more than you realize. The last thing I want to say is this. Oftentimes, church folks, or the disciples in this case, make it like we have some kind of secret special knowledge that that makes us holier than other people that maybe come to church. But where did Jesus say the children belonged? Here. Maybe your mom made you come to church this morning. Maybe this is your Mother's Day gift. And you're sitting there and your skin's crawling. And you feel like, I do not belong with these crazy people. I want to tell you this. You do belong. Because you're a child of God. We want you here with us. God will work out the junk later. Get in his house. And he will walk you and he will guide you and he will teach you what is right. So if you're sitting there this morning and you think, I don't belong here, I praise God that you are here because this is right where you should be. Amen, church? We need to pour into the lives of our kids. We need to do so with love and with excitement because we get to be a part of what God is doing. Amen? God, we love you. Thank you for mothers. Thank you for those folks in our lives that loved us enough to guide us and to walk us and to mentor us. But I thank you for my mother. And I thank you for my father too, Lord, and the example that he was. And we pray, God, that you would cause each one of us to understand and to recognize that as a church, we have a responsibility that we've agreed to, to come alongside those those young Christians, those children of yours, and to love on them and to help them. May we not give up on our marriages. May we emulate you. You told us to to have the mind of Christ. You told us to follow you. And so God, as we try to figure that out ourselves, we pray that you would give us strength, that you would give us mercy, and give us forgiveness, God, because we're not perfect and we're going to mess this thing up. And so help us, God, to just rely on you and to understand that as much as we even think we have it together, we're just children too. And ultimately, we belong here with you. So God, we give you the glory. We thank you for our moms and we thank you for our kids. In Jesus' name, amen.